All right, uh, what, we're, what we're talking about today on Mother's Day is heaven and hell. So I'm sure that's what you all signed up for on Mother's Day, was to hear about heaven and hell. Cosmic story of the human history and how it all ends. Uh, and so what I want to basically do is, is we're going to talk about Revelation. Um, we're going to look at some verses. But I really think the thrust of today's message is an invitation. And uh, so we're going to unfold what that invitation is. <clears throat> but I want to start by sharing a story. When I was a kid, and uh, I don't quite remember the age, like 12, I remember imagining heaven as a floating golden platform. And so everybody was kneeling. And, and you know how uh, Muslims, they kneel when they pray? We were all doing that, and we were all golden. And there was a throne, and God was on it, and we were all kneeling towards him just floating in the cosmos. So in the great vacuum of space, there was a massive golden platform that just went on for eternity because it had to fit all the people. And we were all just covered in gold, worshiping towards the throne. And I remember having this vision of heaven and mustering up a very courageous prayer. I said, God, if that's heaven, I don't think I want to be there. So I felt a little nervous and uh, kind of waiting maybe uh, for a lightning bolt or something. But uh, I kind of moved on and learned more about heaven and my understanding expanded. And uh, I don't think God was bothered by that prayer. I think, uh, I think he really enjoys those ones. But I think the point I'd like to make is that, you know, when we think about heaven, oftentimes... It's and hell, it's a far off place. And that can really be difficult to, to hold on to. And so it feels somehow removed from my present reality. And so it's not that it's unhelpful to describe heaven as a far off place or hell as a far off place. It's just that it's incomplete. And uh, when I asked some of my colleagues leading up to the sermon, I said, hey, do you believe in heaven or hell? And they would say, definitively, no. And then I would say to them, uh, can you think of a time in your life that you would describe as heavenly? And they would go, oh, yeah, well, there was this time I was backpacking through Europe and I met this family and they let me stay with them and I got the authentic family experience in Italy or uh, something their child did for them or a particular vacation or some sort of memory. And I remember listening to those stories going, yeah, it sounds heavenly. And then when I asked them, uh, can you describe any time in your life that's felt hellish? Well, that wasn't hard either. They uh, described some really, really painful times in their lives. And, it, and they used all sorts of uh, painful words and descriptors. And I won't go into, but really, you know, people, people have really lived through some hell and continue to do so around the world. But the people around you, the ones you work with, your family members, <clears throat> sit down and ask them and uh, you'll, you'll get a small taste of the hell some of the people are living in. So uh, while, while this idea of a floating platform 
and and heaven like the cosmos and Hades or hell being like below you. Uh, while uh, those are maybe good starting points, it kind of keeps heaven and hell far away and, and hard to hold on to. Uh, but I think people are trying to carve out a little piece of heaven in the hellish landscape of life all the time. So it seems like an end of the world thing. It seems like a faraway thing, but I think it's actually a present reality, heaven and hell. And people are doing everything they can to avoid their definition of hell and to carve out their version of heaven. And the powers of the world are competing to carve out their versions of heaven and hell. And so it's just happening on a personal and a global scale all the time. People want to avoid a hellish existence and want to experience a heavenly one. And in that way, I don't think the concept of hell is actually foreign to people, religious or not. I think it's actually really intuitive. C.S. Lewis would say that we have eternity in our hearts, something about being made in God's likeness, that we would live and breathe eternity today. And so I think that's a really helpful way to think about hell and heaven as we move into uh, exploring what the scripture says. The other thing I want to say is we're looking at the book of Revelation. And so I think there's just a couple things that will help you as I talk and anytime you read uh, the Bible. Uh, first of all, uh, Revelation is a prophetic revelation uh, about Jesus from Jesus. So it's a prophetic word. And it, uh, it is meant to reveal who Jesus is and what he's been doing this whole time and what he will do. So another way of saying that is revelation is a heavenly perspective of history in light of the end. Revelation is a heavenly perspective of history in light of the end. We're pulling back the curtain to see who Jesus is and what he's going to do when it's all over and what he's always been up to. The other thing uh, to think of it is that it's apocalyptical. And in our world, apocalyptic means just the end of the world. But in the Hebrew mind and even the Greek mind, it's the end of the world and the beginning of a new one. So it's a really, really important difference. The apocalypse is not just the end of the world. According to the Bible, it's the end of the world as you know it and the beginning of a new one. So I hope those are really just helpful things to hang your hat on as we talk. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't also mention what Revelation isn't. Revelation is not a secret code. It's not... Um, uh, special numerical language that if you read it correctly, you can tell what's going to happen exactly, or you can say exactly what's going on now. So sometimes people like to look for 666, you know, anywhere they can find it. So, you know, the microchip Bill Gates wants to put in our COVID vaccine has 666 in the, you know, manufacturing number or something. Like, don't, don't do that. That's, you know, that takes you to wackadoodle places. So that's not what Revelation is. 
I don't have the secret understanding of what heaven and hell is. What I'm presenting to you today is incomplete. Right? It's incomplete. Heaven is and hell are just unfathomable, but the, the Bible does give us an idea um, about what it is and how we might prepare for it. More importantly, how we prepare for heaven and hell. Less about what exactly it is. So, Revelation is the revealing of who Jesus is and what he's been doing over the course of time. And it's a heavenly perspective of history in light of the end. All right? So, uh, join with me. Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 11 and see what uh, this prophetic word would reveal to us. So, chapter 11, verses 16 to 18. I'll start with verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power, and you have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who revere your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumbling peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Okay, so what we have in this first section of scripture from Revelation, so remember, it's a prophetic word revealing something about Jesus, and it's like a drama. It's hyperlinking everything else from the Bible. So think of Revelation as one big hyperlink to the entire narrative story. So it's just full of imagery and color, and it's very dramatic because it's written that way. So we have a scene uh, in which John is looking into the heavens. So he's looking into the heavens, and he sees God's sanctuary, and God is there, and so is the Ark of the Covenant, which is a sign of his presence. And there's thunder and lightning, which is a sign of his holiness and power. And then there are people there worshiping God, and they're praising him that the time is at hand and that he's going to come in his fullness. And it uses words in there like almighty, judge, uh, powerful, uh, reign, judgment, right? These are all the descriptors describing who God is in this heavenly setting. So it's important to note that at this moment, heaven is fully somewhere else and only partly here. So in that sense, heaven is a place. But the point isn't that heaven's a place, because heaven is not a what, heaven is a who. Why is the sanctuary John seeing so powerful? 
full of people worshiping God with someone to the authority of judge? Well, it's because Jesus is there. You see, heaven is wherever Jesus is. And it's fully somewhere else right now. I'm not sure where, but it's fully somewhere else and partly here now. And what we know about God in heaven is that he has the authority to decide between good and evil. You see, this is what makes heaven so great, is that it's clear what good and evil is, and there's someone who is worthy to tell the difference between the two. I'm not worthy to tell the difference between good and evil, but Jesus is. And so what makes heaven so great is that Jesus is reigning in his authority. His presence is powerful to subdue and overcome all those who would oppose him, to declare what is right and what is wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but that just sounds like good news. It's an intimidating image. But look at what are the people doing in there? The, the elders that are with Jesus in heaven, are they cowering in fear? No, they're worshiping him. Like, I don't think they want to be anywhere else. And they're in love and in awe with the fact that he has the power to do what he said he would do. And he has the moral authority to say the difference between good and evil. Boy, that's just a powerful image of heaven. And that's the place I want to be. It's kind of murky down here. I make it murky. I find it difficult. People are uh, declaring what is good and evil for themselves. They're subverting it and perverting it for their own gain. I mean, I'm looking forward to a day and I'm full of hope to know that Jesus will actually come here and fully label good and evil and overcome anyone who would resist him. It's humbling, but it's also hopeful. So I don't know about you, but heaven's starting to sound really, really good. Uh, let's jump with me now to Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. So that's... It's really interesting. I like that line. Earth and sky fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. That's cool. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done and recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what had been done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is in the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So what's our picture of heaven now? What, what is Revelation uncovering about who Jesus is and what he's been doing this whole time? Well, now heaven is a lot closer to earth. So close so that there is no space for the earth 
and the heavens. It all fled from him. The material world is gone. And the only thing left is you and him, humanity, being judged. Heaven is inching its way towards earth. And what's interesting about heaven is nothing that we know will remain except you and your life before the judge. Isn't that a gripping and sobering thought? Nothing will remain. Not the heavens, not the earth, just you and your life before him. Now, that should humble everybody. And for some, that should be terrifying. And for some, that should be uh, filling us full of hope. And here's why. If Jesus has the authority to declare what is good and evil and the power to subdue those who would oppose him, then he is the only one who can deliver true justice. He sees through everything, so much so that it is, it, it's not even in his realm. It's just he sees through it all and he sees you and your life and what you've done. And there's some books open in front of him. One book is the book of life and one is that records all the deeds. And so if your name is in the book of life, you get the free gift of eternity with him. And if your name's in the other book, you get weighed against your own moral code, of which no one even holds up to anyways. And you don't get the free gift of eternal life. So again, this should be terrifying and it should be hope, filling us with hope. <clears throat> there are people on this earth right now who are getting away with terribly wicked things. Uh, there, are, there are people on this earth causing hellish landscapes, torturing people's existence, and either going unnoticed or be not being held accountable. But one day, all the confusion, all the, the mystery, all the hiding will be gone. And those people will stand before God and take an account for their lives. True justice will be delivered. Now, I don't know about you. That sounds like good news. There's a lot of wicked and powerful people on this earth doing terrible things. And they may skip justice in this life, but they won't skip justice in the next. I think that makes heaven a very attractive place. It can also make heaven a bit terrifying. <laughs> because as I talk about others, you're probably thinking about your own life. I'm thinking about mine. Thinking about the hell I've caused myself, the hell I've caused other people. 
Maybe you've got some things that have gone unnoticed. All of that's going to be laid bare. Whether you're a Christian or not, all of it gets laid bare. Because heaven is not just a declaration of what is good and evil. It's making the wrongs right. It's uncovering everything that was hidden. All the intentions, good or bad. And so the question is, what book are you going to find your name in? Because if you reject God as the moral authority of good and evil, then it says he's going to weigh you against your own moral code. Do you think you lived up to it? I know I haven't. But for those who know that their moral code is not heavenly, for those who know they're not able uh, to live a heavenly life, we trust in the work of Jesus in his lifetime, and their name is in the book of life. So while all is laid bare, you're filled with great hope because despite the heaven and the hell you experienced and created while on earth, you had another source of heaven in someone else's life called Jesus, and your name's in the book of life. Now, this is further inspiring and hopeful because how many of you out there are, are toiling in, in obscurity? How many of you have sacrificed for another? How many of you have given away yourself to another person and they didn't even notice, or perhaps they did and they weren't grateful? I know, I can think of you in my head, there's a few of you, but I know many of you are out there giving your life away to Jesus. Loving your neighbor, laying down your life for somebody else. And maybe you go home at night and you shed tears on your pillow. You're heartbroken for the people you care for. You've given so much away. You're doing that. I know you are. One day, it's called heaven. It's going to meet earth. And God is going to say, son, daughter, I saw everything you did. The time you laid down your life for a friend, I saw that. The time you wept because someone rejected true love, I wept with you. I even have your tears in a jar. When you gave your life up so others may truly live, I saw that. And I'd like to reward you. What a, what a beautiful sentiment that our God would not just want to uncover good and evil and examine the truth for what it is and hold to account and get true justice, but he would also notice and reward all the ways you lived heavenly during your time here. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a good time. I want to go there. I want someone with a record 
of all the great things I've done. Kind of sounds weird to say. But man, I'm looking forward to that. Where Jesus says, I saw you and I knew you. And I watched what you did, even if no one else did. And I love you and you're amazing. Who doesn't want that? Heaven sounds like an amazing place. And sometimes it offends our sensibilities. And it also fulfills the deepest longing of our hearts. Why? Not because it's a place, but because it's a person. Heaven is not a what, it's a who. And in this section, we learn that death finally dies. Death itself goes to Hades and is no more. The free gift of God is eternal life. Death dies. It's gone. There's no more pain, no suffering. The, what we've had since the beginning is, is at one point in Eden, <clears throat> heaven and earth overlapped. And there was no discussion of hell in the first three or four chapters. Because it didn't exist. Man and woman lived in perfect communion with God. Heaven and earth overlapped in Eden. And then man and woman mistrusted and disobeyed and had to leave the garden. And so earth and heaven came apart. And hell became a reality. Why? Because man and woman were now creating hell through their misbelief and distrust. And what we read here is the return of heaven to earth, overlapping more once again. And in order for that overlap to complete, the one final barrier, death, sin and death, is overcome. Death is finally dead. And, and then you can't tell the difference between heaven and earth. I don't know about you, but I want to be there when that happens. Heaven sounds good. Heaven sounds good because he's good. Revelation 21, 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from her husband. <clears throat> and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying and pain. For the older, uh, old order of things has passed away. So, what is being uncovered about who Jesus is and what he plans to do? Well, heaven finally overlaps earth, and you can't tell the difference between the two. And all the pain and all the suffering is gone. And it says even the sea is gone. So if you remember from Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he had the sea to separate them. So to make the point so much 
the sea is removed so that heaven and earth are collapsed in on each other. It is, it is inseparable, the two. And the old ways and the old world and the old heavens are gone. And there's something new. You're new. I'm new. The earth is new. It's not just that death has been dealt a final blow and we live with what remains. Something new is created altogether. It's a beautiful picture. And the city of Jerusalem comes down. And that's his promise to the Jews being fulfilled. And God is with his people and they will call him God and they live forever. And the nations are there. It's diverse. It's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of what we all want earth really to be right now. It's sheer bliss, really. Why? Not because of circumstance, not because of the situation, but because Jesus is there and he's done a new thing. Heaven's not a what, it's a who. It's a person and his name is Jesus. And Revelation has been trying to reveal to us the whole time that Jesus is in the business of reuniting heaven and earth so that you can't tell the difference. And heaven is a place where final justice has been dealt. Good and evil is clear. The world is new. Pain is gone. And we enjoy being in close fellowship like Adam and Eve in the garden, walking together in the coolness of the day. I can remember a moment, a heavenly moment. <clears throat> so I want to paint the picture for you, just how good this is. I remember this moment, Tara and I went to the School of Ministry in Nashville, and we were driving home from Nashville to where we were staying outside. <clears throat> and I rolled down the window, and I remember closing my eyes and putting my arm out the window. And I could feel the warm, sweet air move over my arm and flood the car. As I looked out the window, I saw a golden sunset crown rolling green hills. I heard the call of wild turkeys in the distance the sound of trickling water, and I watched lightning bugs dance from post to post on the fences. It was heavenly. It's one of the most beautiful moments and places. And then I looked over, and I was sitting next to one of my favorite people in the whole world, Tara. And I thought, this must be what heaven's like. Surely, surely, I don't quite get it, but this moment is just a small taste of how good heaven is going to be. So I'm not quite done yet, because you might be thinking to yourself, well, he hasn't really talked about hell. 
<clears throat> but I just want to make this point is uh, lots of times the sales pitch is trust Jesus because heaven is or hell is so bad. And I just want to say, trust Jesus because heaven is so good. Taste and see that Jesus is good. Justice is good. Newness is good. Promises fulfilled is good. Healing, restoration is good. Being with people made in his image. Diverse people groups from all over the world living together celebrating how good Jesus is. Heaven is good. Trust Jesus because he's good. It says something about who he is, that the place he would run and rule is so good. And we already know you want that. You and I are trying to carve out heaven any way we can. It's eternity in our hearts. We long for it. It's not a far off place. It's a now. So that brings me to the invitation. You see, you've got two options. Uh, you could be a little piece of heaven or you could be a little piece of hell. So turn with me to James <clears throat> chapter 3. James chapter 3, 3 to 6. <clears throat> when he puts bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also fire and a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. <clears throat> Revelation reveals a heavenly perspective of history in light of the end. It reveals who Jesus is and what he's been doing and what he will do in the fullness and only in part now, which is an invitation to you and I. How then should we live? You see, heaven isn't just a far off place. It's not just somewhere else. It's here and it's now. And you long for it. And are you going to be it? See, that's the question. If you read Revelation, 
and you let the Holy Spirit be your teacher, then it will naturally cause you to reflect on how should I live now? And the question is, are you going to be a piece of heaven or are you going to be a bit of hell? And James is pretty clear that an unbridled tongue is a small spark on a raging forest fire of hell. You and I are capable of creating hell on earth. Adam and Eve were capable, and they chose it and started making it. You and I have that same choice. And it has eternal consequences. Because as you and I go through the world, what are people naturally trying to do? They're trying to carve out that little bit of heaven. So how you act, how you speak, what you say, are you going to help them build heaven? Or are you going to help them burn the place down? We're not passive observers with our name in the book of life. So we can sit back and watch the world burn and think, gee, that sucks. No, you're either a part of bringing to heaven on earth or you're help building the fire hellscape people live in. I, I'm, I'm humbled by James's words, you know. I needed other scripture than Revelation to talk about hell. Because these verses in Revelation were just a, just a beautiful image of what heaven is going to be like and how it comes and who Jesus is. But there is another option. And if you know me well enough and long enough, you'll know that I'm guilty of James 3. I've created my own hell and I've created hell for others. But I know what I want. I want heaven. And so in the upside down kingdom of Jesus, you give to others what you want for yourself. I feel compelled to be a little slice of heaven, choosing to trust that Jesus is the source of good and evil, will deliver true justice, and wipe away every tear from our eye. And so I participate in that work for other people. Because I want heaven, and I know I don't deserve it. I know that I have a tongue like James 3. And only in dying for others can you be reborn to live. Folks, here's the invitation. Are you going to live out heaven for others? Or are you going to add to the hellish landscape? Because there are eternal consequences to where that road ends. It's easy to make heaven about somewhere else and to trivialize what we do, especially when we read such a dramatic story about how it all unfolds. But our words, our action, our choices have eternal consequences today. And look, people are are dying for a little slice of heaven. Why not be it? Be 
be the bit of heaven your neighbors need. Now, admittedly, that comes with a cost. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he was our perfect bit of heaven on earth. And when he died on the cross, what did he do? He absorbed hell on our behalf. And then what happened? He became new. If you decide that you're going to be a bit of heaven because Jesus is heaven, and that means he's reigning in love and authority throughout your life, it means that when you give that away to others, you're going to absorb a little hell. So as you're going through life and you attempt to be heavenly, sometimes you'll look around at your circumstances and you'll feel your pain and the uncertainty and the heartache and you'll wet your pillow with tears at night and you'll wake up nauseous about the next day. When you have those moments in life, you look around and you think, what happened? thought I was a Christian. My name's in the book of life. Jesus is going to come back soon. I'm going to be with him forever. Well, if you decide to partner with Jesus in reuniting heaven and earth, you're going to absorb a little hell. That's part of the invitation. So you can create hell with an unbridled tongue, or you can absorb some hell so that someone else might get a little taste of heaven and and have their eternal trajectory changed. I'm I'm thinking of someone in my mind, in my life, and I I can't say who. Tara and I love them. And for many reasons, that love was rejected, and boy, that hurt. And as much as our pain was real, it really wasn't about us. It was about them tasting the reality of goodness, maybe for the first time. It was about changing their eternal trajectory. So I invite you to remember that today, tomorrow, and the next, you were called to participate in the ministry of Jesus and bring back together heaven and earth. Knowing that you can't fully do that work, knowing that Jesus absorbed the hell we can't absorb, but we're participating with him. And that when we don't, we're creating hell. And what we do here and now, whether we're heavenly or hellish, has eternal consequences for the people in our lives. And I know it's, it's not that clear, but it is that real. Heaven and hell are for real, and you're living it out every day. Everybody is living it out every day, desperately clamoring to carve out that slice of heaven. 
But heaven's not a place, it's a person. How then will you live? Pray with me. <clears throat> Father, I, I just admit I, I am not a good judge between good and evil, day-to-day -day basis or for anybody else, frankly. <clears throat> I cannot bring about real justice and I do not want the justice I duly deserve. I do know that I want to be new. And I want other people to be made new. And so I accept your invitation to be a slice of heaven, not a slice of hell. And to give others a taste of that heaven, <clears throat> even at personal cost, even if it means absorbing a little bit of that hell. Because I know that heaven is wherever you are. And so heaven hung on the cross. Heaven indwells inside of me, your spirit. And heaven is coming in its fullness one day. And I want everyone to receive the free gift of eternal life. We repent of poisonous, vile, unbridled, lustful, deceitful, hateful tongues that create the fiery hellscape no one really wants to live in. We just thank you for your goodness and how good heaven will be. And we want to be with you, not just then forever, but now. I want a little, I want a little bit of heaven now. I really do, with my children, at my work, in my marriage, in my friendships, in my emotions. I'm, I, I'm looking, I'm desperate for heaven. And you're it. There's nothing else. So we just want you, Jesus. Change us to be more heavenly. And give us the grace and the power to absorb a little bit of hell for the sake of others, that their future destiny might be altered as well.